happiest memory as a teacher? As a teacher, being able to compete and battle with one of my students. Oh, nice! Worst memory as a performer? When I blanked out. <laughs> when I blanked out front and center on the Urban Street Jam stage on my on my own very own choreography, I blanked out. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Throwing Tantrums Podcast or the Move, Groove, Grow Podcast, depending on where you guys are listening to this. Today is going to be a slightly different format. Instead of me interviewing one of my dancers from Temper Tantrum, we were changing the roles here and flipping it. And today I'm going to be interviewed. And, you know, because I figured while I'm interviewing all these dancers and getting to know them, I figured it would be great you know, for I feel like I have a lot of content out there, but I figured it'd be interesting to let the dancers interview me and add, ha, let them ask the questions that they might have in mind. Because you know, they don't always they don't exactly have all the time in the world to like be watching my YouTube channel, and I have like a, a thousands of videos on there. So yeah, so a little bit about me, I guess. To I, I don't know if I ever did intros on this, but oh, excuse me. <laughs> I am Emroy, CEO of Vision Paradox and Temper Tantrum, and I do a lot of K-pop reaction videos. And uh, Crystal, introduce yourself real quick. Hi there. My name is Crystal Vergara, and I'm one of the directors, co-directors of Temper Tantrum. Yeah, so let's take it away. It's your, it's your interview now. I'm just going to yeah, answer the questions. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> she like, okay, she's been making it like seem like super sus with, like, with this interview. She's like, I got some juicy ones. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you really? <laughs> we get to know you. And yeah, I mean, not everyone's going to know your background and not all, even the members are going to know your background. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity for people to get to know our great leader. Ew. Don't. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get going with the first question. How old were you when you first began to experiment with dance? And what, oh. <laughs> I knew you said. <laughs> and what was your form of experimentation? So how old were you and how did you start to experiment with dance? I was... I was eight when I first started dancing. There was no form. I learned the first song I ever danced to was Michael Jackson, Bad. And, mm-hmm. and I was just dancing behind the couch. I didn't know what it, what dancing was. I was just moving because I really liked it. But in terms of like my first form of dancing, I guess would be choreography. That, mm-hmm. But that would become later, like in sixth grade. Uh, during in- the NSYNC era, Usher era. And then I didn't start actually, and I, all I would do was, you know, watch VH, record the, uh, record them on TRL, watch, review the choreography, slow-mo it, and learn the choreography that way. Uh, but I didn't really get any training, training until like my junior year of of high school. So... So you would say, MJ, you know, how, how did that come about? Were you watching TV and you saw a music video and you're like, that person's moving in a way that I like? I want to do that too. How did it? No, it wasn't even seeing him. It was just a really dope beat. <laughs> because like the whole... Bum, bum, bum. Dun, 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 dun. Like that part oh is like, oh, yeah. yeah, this part... This <laughs> 
song was <laughs> sick. I'm like, I, I didn't even care about who was singing. It was just really a really, really good song. And I was just dancing around because it was a really good song. Yeah. I think that affected a lot of us, but that's that's very cool. All right. So then this kind of leads into the next one. Who influenced your favorite style of dance and how did you come about it? And how did you make it your own? Who influenced my favorite style of dance? Mm-hmm. Like, I know you break dance a lot, but what did you see? Who was it that made you want to go and do it yourself? I mean, who influenced my favorite style of dance? I mean, I really don't think I have a, a favorite favorite. I, mm-hmm. um, I'd say, like, I guess my influences from some of my favorite styles. Uh, primarily, first off was choreography. I'm going to go off with that, which it was obviously sync, Usher and all that yeah. stuff. Those guys were like what inspired me to start doing choreography. But after yeah. high school, when I needed, to, I needed to find another way to dance that didn't rely on a group, uh, of, which was breaking, that was really influenced by my other friends who were, in, who were not in the high school dance team but were breaking. And they got me into it and they showed me like, the documentaries like freshest kids and whatnot they like and the b-boys from there i guess those b-boys like style elements and alien ness inspired me with that uh and with locking it was primarily a locker named p-lock when i was doing like my it was, doing, it was really in my phase of history of researching and history and not all that so i saw his stuff saw how he he killed it with musicality with locking so i picked that up yeah and I, I, I guess another part that kind of inst- was the, I guess the, the gateway drug, so to speak, that may- got me interested in, <laughs> that got me interested in uh, freestyling to begin with was you got served, uh, so that movie really put played a whole, you know, that played a huge influence in me wanting to start learning how to battle and freestyle. There you go. All right. So then how old were you when you first started to take classes? And this is like younger years. And uh, did you start to teach yourself? Were you, you practicing things at home first? Or did you jump right into lessons when things really kicked off? I never took classes until high school. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I, okay. I what do you call it? I what do you call it? I yeah. I never took classes. I uh, the only reason I joined the dance team is because all my friends were in it, and I had no one to hang out with after school anymore. So I was like, "Fuck, man!" You just, like, <laughs> so I decided to join them, and I and because I had prior experience picking up choreo from VHS and all that stuff, everyone who thought I was because at that time I was branded a skater boy and hated dancing. They're surprised that I picked up the choreography much faster than some of the veterans. So mm-hmm. that, I guess that's where I actually started getting training because I was I stepped in, auditioned for the hardest squad, and almost made it. So, so uh, when you when you say you were a skater boy and people thought you hated dancing, I know that you know I I think I remember a story about this. You know, you enjoyed dance early on, watching him uh, yeah. so What what happened there? Yeah. So yeah, like I, I like I said, I, I was getting really into like learning the choreography from VHS tapes in sixth grade, but I was also like that. It was also during an era where boys dancing was not cool. So I was practicing my instinct dance moves. Like four kids, I remember what they looked like too. Like it was because it was a, such a embarrassing, heartbreaking moment for me. And they were like, they started laughing, 
at me and he's like oh, oh, what are you doing what are you like the fag word and i was like oh god i remember the crushing painful moment of being judged for for this thing that i loved doing because i was like it was practicing pacing it was a, a piece from like i want you back and i was practicing it and i was like yeah this is cool and i was like and at that time i was also i remember thinking like wait uh, I didn't know his name back then, but it was it was Justin Tabor. Like Justin was like practicing or he's pacing on one hand, but what if I do two? So I was like trying to create uh, as a kid, but then boom, I was judged. And I remember walking home from from that yeah that day from school, saying like I'm never gonna dance again. Like I remember hearing that voice so loudly, like in my head and in my heart. I'm like I'm never gonna do this. And then I I stopped completely, and I just got really got into to skating. Um, and I was like, you know, it became a, skating became another outlet for me to direct my energy. But throughout all that, I kind of like took on this belief as well that boys shouldn't dance and it's stupid. And so that was like the that was the thing that I kind of accepted and I kind of like embodied myself. So uh, and then even throughout my high school years, like I remember like ninth grade, tenth grade, they would have these rallies, and uh, they would. The guy, the the other other guys that were on the team, we would just be like, "Oh, that's gay. Oh, boys dancing. That's stupid." And I remember, I think my sophomore year, one of the rallies they booed the bo- the all male team, and then the following rally, they did a routine that flipped off the entire the entire crowd, and I think they yelled out "fuck you," and I was like, "Yo, respect." <laughs> <laughs> all this all this other time while i'm hating on them I'm like yeah that's whack that's whack i'm like dang that's fucking tight they can back loop <laughs> of you were down for that <laughs> but yeah yeah and then i i, I knew i, I kind of wanted to be in it obviously like in like when i saw it when i was in in high school my when i was a freshman but i was still trying to take on the whole thing of like it's nah it's not cool to do it <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, that's why I joined so late because I had other friends. That, that oh, well, we're glad you got back to it. So that kind of leads me into next thing. I have an idea of this. I'm not sure if everyone else is aware, but earlier when YouTube first started, to my understanding, you took to that platform quickly and started teaching tutorials. This is to my understanding. Uh-huh. So my question is, can you explain to us how you came about posting dance tutorials and how old were you when you did this and what platforms did you do this on besides YouTube? Uh, the main thing, uh, I mean, I started uploading to YouTube like the minute it came out, but it was yeah. primarily like sharing dance videos to friends. Cause what I used to do prior to YouTube was like uh, all these coll- collegiate dance companies had their own websites at the time and you can watch their performances. And I would, I would just, I even and you know I like collecting footage. Even then, I was collecting footage. Like I would download footage of Team Millennia, Cabo Modern, just so I can like watch and be inspired. Even old like Jabawakis from back then. Evolvolts. Yeah. So like, but I got in. I started doing more tutorial stuff around 2012, 2013, when I learned that you can monetize, like you can make money off doing tutorials. So I decided to do like my own thing. YouTube was the only one I know that allowed you that people were making money off it so i decided to do that and then uh, from there i discovered this other platform called udemy decided to give it a shot upload my stuff there give it a nice curriculum 
and yeah it's been giving me a nice a nice side income here and there but yeah i don't i don't i haven't been doing that much tutorials lately because obvious for obvious reasons were covid times and partially because i'm lazy as fuck <laughs> but like it takes a lot of effort it, it really takes a lot of effort to choreograph film and then edit the tutorials so mm-hmm. for me it, it just became like a a, a big a, a big time suck as vision paradox and everything else was becoming as i was getting more involved with those well to my knowledge you were a success doing that so my next question is, what was your favorite outcome of making these tutorials? And what was your biggest pitfall back then with making the tutorials? Big, biggest outcome? I'd say passive income. <laughs> it's, it's what he caught. And those of you guys who, I guess, just to give a context, just because you make an online class on, on online tutorials and all that stuff doesn't mean it's guaranteed anything. Yeah. Even though, even though I say passive income, it's not like it's paying my rent, well, but it does help, you know, plenty. But yeah. I'd say successfully creating some form of passive income through my knowledge, I'd say the biggest uh, downfall. Hmm. I don't know. To be honest, I mean, I feel pretty. <laughs> Like in terms of success, no, I mean, I mean it, it's doing what I wanted it to do. Like, I mean, like the biggest from the course or creating tutorials in general. The whole process, making them, you know, did it take away from anything else? Did you have to sacrifice anything to put time into this at that age? Because you know, people were doing other things during that time. You know, while you're there hustling, not everyone was hustling. I'd say the biggest downfall I was how much time it took, I think, uh, because it did take away from family and I had to focus a lot of it. I didn't, ha- I guess at that time, 2013, 2014, it was like I, Vision Paradox wasn't a company yet. But so I had a lot of time to create this. I think the, I think the biggest downfall was like, I think I, I feel like I could have probably better ma- managed my time. Or not, maybe not manage my time because I feel pretty good about that. Maybe allow myself to allow myself to step away from work more, realizing it's not the end of the world if I don't finish something that day. Very good. All right. Well, <laughs> now, how do you think the outcome of your online tutorials would be if you started doing it now compared to back then? Oh. How do I think it would be if I did it today? Yeah. You, and you I still have the same knowledge, day. right? Same knowledge, but if you just decided today, hey, you know what? I want to... Create another course? Yeah. Or create new tutorials? Mm-hmm. And I'm, what, and I'm starting from zero? Or do I, have, zero. do I have my current... Do I have my current audience? Current audience. Current I, audience. <laughs> Because, yeah, back then you start from zero, but yeah. I guess having the audience, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't have the audience if you didn't do it back then, you know? Yeah, it was, you think, the, 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 do you the, feel like you built most of your audience from doing it back then? I think the tutorials were definitely a good uh, jumping off point because it was leveraging attention from pr- trending songs, which was good, you know? And I think uh, a good chunk of my audience now was built from like not leveraging my knowledge of dance and applying it to an even bigger kind of i guess genre or subculture which is k-pop so it's like just for me i try to like you know i've said it with you guys in meetings like i like to capitalize on my gifts and my knowledge to try to make profits off 
what I can do. So uh, that's essentially like what I did with my dance tutorials and now doing that with the K-pop stuff, reaction videos. But does that, does that answer that, that question? Because I feel like I just went on a tangent. Well, I think I think the next question kind of helps. Because um, well, because I kind I still kind of want to answer that. Like, if how how do you think I would do? Right? Yeah. What would your success rate be if you did this now? Right. Okay. So if my success rate now with the current audience, I think, would be much higher because there's a there's attention. And I know what they want, and I can just le- simply leverage like cer- certain requests. And there's an audience, and there's a platform now. I think it would be much. Wow. Huh? <laughs> no. I'm like, then why don't you do it now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do fully intend on starting tutorials again because I've been in because I've just been doing I've just been interested in doing choreography again. There's just a point in time in my my dancing career I just wanted to freestyle. I had no interest in choreography, but yeah, more recently this year I've been wanting to just do more choreography to help me like kind of explore new forms of movement and whatnot. But yeah, if I was to start today from zero, I'm going to be honest, it's going to be much harder. Yeah. But if I had the same marketing knowledge, I think I would have an edge. Okay, there you go. Well, then that leads into my next. What advice would you give to any dancers who would give be up. considering? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> if they were to start now with things the way they are, so many people are on social media, so many people are utilizing platforms. It's, you know, back then you were almost like the only one, I would say, doing it when YouTube started. So what advice would you give to people creating their content now if they wanted to start teaching classes hmm, that's a really good question give up just kidding. <laughs> you're like pay me for this advice <laughs> <laughs> no because like in my mind i'm like devising like a very like strat- wide broad strategy to the detailed ones i guess it depends on what they're trying to do is it is, are they trying to just build are they trying to make sell a course or are they just trying to build a pl- are their brand and what you did if, if, if they were to try to mimic what you did now okay so definitely if you're if you're the two platforms i would definitely put a lot of focus on uh, would be youtube and tiktok obviously because tiktok is the place for is the place for dancing obviously dance to trending songs on tiktok create your own tiktok dance whatever but you, but to take it a step further maybe take trend to find the trending songs from tiktok and create your own actual 4a counts 8a counts on youtube because again it's leveraging where where the eyeballs are where the attention is and when it comes to any sort of product or marketing attention is king or attention we live in an attention economy so uh, kind of leverage that create your own tiktok dance of trending dances or even freestyle whatever just to be part of that conversation because that's what social media is you want if you want to be noticed you got to partake in the conversation and then kind of use that attention to funnel people to the other things and then use again just so i can reiterate use those same trending songs and create your own youtube tutorials out of it and then you know and then create other content a lot as well because i know some people are like oh i don't want to fucking dance to tiktok trending songs and yeah i I get that part so create what you want to create as well just so like so you're still fulfilling your creative soul your creative uh, itch so it's a bit of both leverage what's trending create and then keep doing that 
And if you have the capacity to try to do it every fucking day, <laughs> because the consistent it, it, it's like consistent consistency is like a huge thing. Obviously, it's also getting your reps in there to really build that body of work. Or if you can't do it, you know, because we we got like obviously regular jobs. Try to try to find a day where you can batch create everything. Like if you can't film film something every day. Or if you want to try to be consistent, find a, a, a Sunday where you're free and film fucking 12 videos. And then you can, and then you're, once you have those 12 videos, share it on TikTok, uh, share it on YouTube. You'll have 12 weeks worth of videos. So you can be weekly on YouTube. You have 12 days or maybe even two weeks worth of, uh, or three weeks or four weeks, depending on how often you want to post on TikTok of, of content. So that way you can still be consistent. You can post every other day if you want and yeah and rinse and repeat so that way if you say for example you decide to batch film for two sundays that's 24 videos so and that's practically like what half like half the year if depending on depending on how you want to how you want to execute yeah i've noticed influencers do that when i see like they'll be wearing different outfits in different videos but then everything else in the background is the same. Like, you know, it's the same day. There's certain things you could tell it was all filmed in the same day, but it's a very good idea. Yeah, it just saves time. It's more effective. It's efficient. And, uh, you know, it, it's like a lot of these influencers are like treat this whole thing like a job. Like they spend they eight do. hours or whatnot just creating content for the platforms. Yeah. Did you do batch content yeah. back then? I still do it today. Like, uh, uh, I bet. Yeah. Okay. So, like, it's the most effective way of creating content like i filmed i would go to my friend's uh film studio which had a dance studio in it and i would film like four hours worth of content and then edit it i would have four weeks worth of stuff and but i would go the next week so i can keep going like even now with with the temper tantrum stuff and the my youtube stuff work our stuff is set till april no you were able to do this also because you had you know a skill with editing so what would you advise people do with that? Any lessons to take? What software to use? What did you use? How did you even okay. learn to edit? I, shit. Okay. I was lucky <laughs> oh to have been editing since I was like in sixth, seventh grade. During my skater area, I learned how to edit because I was trying to be a, be a sponsored skater. So I learned how to do video editing through, the, through double VHS tapes and I would record that way uh, and edit that way. I would like one video VHS would be playing and recording all that stuff. And then I learned how to do edit on premiere in high school. So I was like, kind of, I'm kind of lucky that I was able to pick up these skill sets of, I'd say at a pretty young age, but uh, if you can't afford premiere because it's a, a subscription model now, I would say like iMovie works, like whatever you have that lets you edit works. And if you have those things, use YouTube is a great, a great resource in editing uh, and helping you teaching you how to edit. So I would definitely take advantage of those resources. So it, it doesn't have, you don't have to have fancy equipment to, to create what you want to create. I like, off more often than not, sometimes blockbuster hits are created from low budgets. There you go. And um, this is kind of in relation to you doing other things. Did you ever break away from your, uh, time with dance to pursue another career and if so what was that career and why did i ever break mm. 
I know you told me about something and I was surprised. So, <laughs> I mean, I never, okay. Oh, you're talking about when I was a gamer, a gamer and working in the gaming okay. industry. That one. Mm. Yeah. What I else never, did you do? I, like, dance has always been a, a, a constant in my life. Everything else, mm-hmm. like the, the career choices were kind of different, but dance has always been there somehow, somehow or some way. Okay, Max. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, for, I've never had to break away from it, but even when I was working prior to old dancing and prior to Vision Paradox um, and when I was working in the game industry and animation industry, I was still driving to, to Alhambra to teach class. Oh my gosh. So t- can you tell us, can you explain to us what you were doing aside from teaching dance at this time? So, I, I mean, I could be mixing my timelines at this point, but no, 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 no. I was. Jesus Christ, I was doing that. So, do a bunch of things at the same time. So yeah, like, well, I was still teaching dance. Like I was still working in the animation and game industry. That, this was like in 2000, I mean, 2008 to 2013 is when I was working into it. Like right after I graduated, I was I went straight into the animation game industry. Yeah, I worked on a, I, the, I tell people I, I, I worked as an animator, but it's be I technically did, but I, I I the position I did is more called rigging, which is the more technical aspect of animating, which is setting up the bones and the controllers for the animators, which also pays a lot more. <laughs> but it's also one of the processes that I liked a lot more than animating. But yeah, and I got to work on a, on a couple games some people might have heard of. I worked on Quantum of Solace. I worked on Silent Hill, Shattered Memories. And the last game I ever worked on, on was uh, Laura... No, was it? Sorry. Uh, Tomb Raider. The reboot, the first reboot game, and uh, in terms of films, the only the I only worked on two movies because I, I, well at least the house the studio that I was working with, or the animation house I was with, I just didn't like their their culture, but when I was working with them, I worked on the first Smurfs movie and the last Harry Potter movie. So, and then that was it. I was like, fuck this. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> That's, that's amazing. And I feel like a lot of younger dancers feel like if they're pursuing dance, they have to stick to that. They've got to put all their eggs in that basket. But really, no, I feel like one great way to make it as a dancer is to have something else on the side that will keep you afloat while you pursue your career in dance. So yeah. how did that come about for you? Because you said you started right after high school to do this. For what? Animation? Animation. Oh no! After high school, no, right after I graduated college, I, college. I, was, I was able to get hired. Yeah. Oh, so. he went to college. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I tell half the team to drop the, drop out half the time, <laughs> I tell every yes, I have a bachelor's degree. <laughs> Even though I tell everyone in temper tantrum to to drop out, yeah. So I never took a break after high school. Like right after high school, three weeks, I graduate. After I graduated, I went. I started college right away. And I graduated right on my 21st birthday. And I was oh determined. Oh my God. But it was That's also. So where did you go? And what was your major? I, I, I went to Art Institute of Los Angeles, Cali- Los Angeles. I'm oh, sorry, Los- Art Institute of California, Los Angeles, whatever the fuck it's called. But it, it's gone now. It, it's closed. Um, Apparently, just the whole fucking school went through some fucking financial issues. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> 
terrible. Okay, okay, my experience of it was great, but some of the branches and some of the other people's experiences were just terrible. And how they handled the exit of how everything falling apart, and the a lot of these kids being in like what the, like like I remember it happened like with right the semester or uh, the quarter after Greg, Stephanie graduated people were like uh, people at the school were flocking the dean's office uh, trying to get uh, their transcripts because the school was shutting down and they're like no classes and all that and these there are these kids who were like who put money into the school that you know and then sh- shutting down without notice so um, yeah so that's why like that's what i'm like you know if that's what fucking happens, but because they're before you graduated, so you're like, sorry, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, okay, so I graduated. I was I graduated on time. I like my literally my last day of school was on my birthday, but it was also the same year the economy tanked. So <laughs> I remember like my, a lot of my teachers saying, "Good luck, good luck finding a job," because the economy's dead. And in my head, I'm a fucking you know young twenty one year old like uh oh, you know, economy, schmeconomy, <laughs> you know, like I'm a young buck, I'll figure it out. And, you know, thankfully I did get hired after, but I had no understanding of at that time of like how, like what a, a recession is and how bad it was and or anything. And I honestly don't think I fully, thanks to my mom, like she's an amazing, she's an amazing woman. Like, I don't think I ever felt the real hit of the recession because I didn't notice like the struggles and that's how I guess wow. testimony of how great my mom, how hard my mom worked. Wow. So, yeah. So it was, uh, and luckily I was able to fucking get a job right after college and then start working. So. Wow. And, and all, <laughs> all while dancing and teaching. All while still dancing and teaching. And that's the thing too. While I was like my last quarter of school, like I faced so many people, uh, so many people telling me like, 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 what are you going to do, animation or dance? You can't do both. Um, oh. One of my teachers said this. This one, <laughs> this one animator chick that, that joined our animation, our, our animation, uh, not club, but I guess group. And then a lot of a lot of us like, oh, she's cute and all that stuff. And then what she said, like, oh, like, you can't do both. The kind of condescending. I was like, no, fuck this bitch. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm prove everyone wrong. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and then, you know, like, that's where I got used to the idea of like, of, you know, cause I don't know. I, I feel like, why can't you? Exactly. You know, like, why do you have to stick to one and all that stuff? And, you know, it's, I, th- I still believe that, that you can get, you can get both, just not at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's, so you gotta be smart and especially, and also like prioritize the thing in a sense that helps you know, yeah. support yourself in a sense uh, until while you're chasing that. But I, that's the yeah. thing. Like, I never really, I never really pursued it dance that hard in a, uh, to become an industry dancer. Like mm-hmm. after my first few auditions for an for agencies, I was like, meh. I, I, just, <laughs> feel, I, I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah, I don't know. I just like because I danced. I liked the community stuff because it was enjoyable. The support but yeah. then going to these auditions it was like in so so intense because you know this is like literally everyone at the same time being interviewed for one or a few spots yeah so yeah so it, it, it was a glorified hobby 
There you go. So, so yeah, I would say some people quit because of the stress. So do you feel like having made the choice to pursue animation helped you continue to enjoy dance? Uh, yeah, in a sense, it became like, okay, this is like my, uh, this is what I need to, this is what I'm using to support my dancing. Mm-hmm. Though the thing, the drawback with working a lot in the animation industry is that it, at least the time I was in it, it's super different now. But I just, there was, for me, it wasn't the healthiest of habits that I had. Because a lot of sitting, very sedentary lifestyle, not that active. And you had to be like, even with the, all the dancing I was doing, it wasn't, it still wasn't that enough. I was gaining a lot of weight. So, <laughs> but yeah, like, and uh, so I forgot where I was going with this, but. Yeah, it just wasn't the healthiest lifestyle. And it kind of and it started showing in terms of like my performance with my dancing. Why you stopped? With, no, no. In the animation industry, no. It, it, part, of it was, part of it was knowing I was going to become a dad and realizing, mm-hmm. oh my God, I, when I would work like 60, 80 hours, like during crunch time uh, a week, it, it was just crazy. And I, I got to a point uh, where I was like, is when I heard that Jordan was on his way, I was like, what kind of dad do I want to be? Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, am I, am I, am I just going to show up tired and just give him presents? Or do I actually want to have, be able to spend time with him the way I want? There you go. So is this how Vision Paradox came about? Vision Paradox came about like later. I was, I became, I, <clears throat> man, I got into it. Because uh, I guess my quote unquote entrepreneurship journey started because of after I joined this leadership program. And I think that was super intense and it helped a lot in, in helping me develop, I guess, a lot of self-awareness and how I show up in interacting with other people. But then I also, and then I realized I was also really good at sales. So, so and then yeah. that's where, that's where I joined us. Uh, I joined Herbalife and MLM and I was like, yeah, like, I can become like a <laughs> health coach and all this other stuff. And then through that, like, cause I know, cause I felt like there were gaps. I was like, don't you have to be like a nutritionist and learn stuff? So I started learning a lot of stuff. There's exactly. questions in my head. So I started learning things on my own and I started st- and, and then uh, started actually training clients and all that stuff. Because I, you know, I think that's the thing. The, the the pitfall of MLMs is that they try to have you stick to their way instead of instead of yeah. questioning it. So I and you made it your own. I made it my own. And uh, what else was uh, there? Yeah, I, and they kept pushing me to create uh, recruit people, recruit, 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 recruit. And I was like, I don't fucking want to build a team if they don't want to be here. I want to yeah. sell. I'm good at it. <laughs> the thing is, yeah. like the the cut was the cut was shit. So that's not what I wasn't a fan of. And that's where I started realizing, oh, maybe I can start doing this on my own. And that's where I started having my own programs uh, and started my own packaging and everything, which in, which yeah. just so happened to include the Herbalife products. Yeah. Oh, so that's how it was. So for those who don't know. I wasn't on the train when Emory was doing YouTube, teaching tutorials, growing his fan base then, but I was around when he was doing this. And this dude, his face was like everywhere. It was, I was seeing him through <laughs> Facebook, YouTube clips, and it was like you were a life coach. I, you know, I was getting all this advice left and right. I was getting emails, promo emails, like 
I totally forgot you did that. So Shit, yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I was doing, I was hustling. And then even and what, <laughs> what, what, what frustrated me with, uh, and at that point dance was, became more of a, a smaller thing. Um, yeah, I was, that I was, was a big one for you. Because I was the nutritional life coach. <laughs> that was yeah, so I was, well, that that information was very good. So, is there a way people can still go and find any of those videos? Oh any, yeah, you any can of your coaching. Yeah, you like, you can, can people see this. You can still uh, still go through my YouTube, and if you switch the order and going from the oldest, you can see a lot of my stuff. From like 2011, 12, 13. And I was trying to be super inspirational and all that stuff. And I think, I think it's a lot what a lot of people are doing because I wanted to, I was aspiring to be a life coach, but I had hadn't experienced life yet. Like you're a 20 year old telling what you haven't experienced real life yet. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are that people have, that have experienced like some real shit, but there's also these, these kids who are trying to become life coaches who haven't had real life experiences. They haven't seen yeah. shit. They haven't seen the dark side, uh, but of a lot of stuff. Because you know, empathy in coaching people plays a huge thing. So, and sometimes, and for those, especially if you're young, the older people will just see that as patronizing. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, I, I understand. And like, oh, you fucking, you're 20 years old. You don't know what the fuck I'm going. I'm going through a divorce. Have you gone through a divorce? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's where I kind of shifted a lot of things. Like, like I went away from the health coaching stuff because I wasn't a nutritionist or or anything like that. So I felt like there were better licensed people for that, and the pay was shit. And I was also getting really frustrated with people not listening to me. So, <laughs> Like they were like, you know, you give people a plan and it's hard for them to stay a, to yeah. follow it because we're humans, which is one of the, one of the reasons I prefer division paradox because I can control everything. But and then the whole uh, I went away from becoming a life coach uh, because, uh, yeah, I went away from being a li- life coach because at that time I hadn't really experienced life in a real way yet. I hadn't gone to jail yet. So. <laughs> but yeah, eventually, oh, like, Lord. <laughs> eventually started vision paradox and like that a lot of everything these skills kind of realized like because i was pushing the social media stuff uh through the health coaching and through my tutorials i realized i can do this for other people i got my first client helped him sell out a a show and then i realized i was like sick i can get paid for this so and who was this Uh, it was for the dance theater company i was with called antics I joined them back in 2016, oh, yeah. and then uh, we were gonna go perform at Philadelphia. And we, I, I know, I, I asked like how our ticket sales are doing, and they were like, so I, I took over and did like Facebook ads and some basic. It just was like before it was called influencer marketing. We did influencer marketing and sold at both shows, and I was like sick. I didn't even I didn't get paid for it, but it was cool to get a a result to like to prove mm-hmm. that. What I did for myself can work for other people. So mm-hmm. uh, that's where I realized I started pushing it as a service. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Vision Paradox started going from there around 2016. Yeah, 2016. And then I got my business partners around 2017. And here we are. Oh my God, is it going to be five years? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So can you tell us about Vision Paradox? Because I feel like a lot of people see the logo they see you you know bring it up vision paradox is partnering with this we're doing this so explain to us what what is vision paradox vision paradox is a 
full service uh, social marketing, full service digital marketing agency. Uh, we work with essentially multiple industries uh, to help them manage the social media, do the paid advertising or the creative. So, and what that means is like the creative meaning we can create the content for you. Uh, we can, or if we can manage your social media for you, or we can do the advertising or we can do everything or we can just be what? consultants. Yeah. So really trying to make it a one-stop shop as much as, we, as much as possible. And then, yeah, we've had the opportunity of working with comedians like, a comedian like Maximini, we worked with Omarion, worked with a lot of, I'd say like big companies, but we've also worked on a couple other projects with Antics since we still helped sell, sell out their show. We helped them with their AIDS awareness campaign, which helped got them like a million views in a week. We did the I Vote Because campaign, which you and Brandon were involved in, which got picked up by Rock the Vote. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of other stuff too. But yeah, like, and oh, I helped with the comedian that we worked with, helped him sell out shows internationally, thousands or if not hundred thousands, thousands. I don't know how, I don't recall the numbers in terms of ticket sales. But yeah, I think that's like a, a, a quick skim through what we've done. I mean, you know. yeah, it's, it's huge. I feel like a lot of your fan base will look at you and be like, oh my God, amazing dance. Or look at like your content. It's videos of you performing places, you know, doing competitions, shows, battles, all this stuff involved with dance. No one's really seeing what you're doing behind the scenes. All this time, all these years you've been spending working on this company and it feeds into what you're doing now. It's amazing, but people don't see that. Yeah, you know? that's true. I, I also have to do a, a quick shout out to the real CEO of Vision Paradox, Maxine. She's the best. <laughs> She's the, her and B-Rock. Her and B-Rock are on the chat right now. Shouts out to B-Rock, uh, who's an amazing oh, photographer, who is the, the much more handsome brother because you know me sean and v-rock we're all look alike we're all like fucking the triplets <laughs> oh my um, god but yeah uh, yeah that's what i'm realizing as i'm going through my feed he's he, uh, he's because i'm looking at fucking this chat right now i'm realizing that i don't share enough of the business end that i do like i, I do i share like the podcast stuff which is more the inspirational stuff but it's not exactly business tactics or business results i don't know i just mm-hmm. didn't think people would be interested yeah but, people are probably wondering what the heck is this man doing because he's over here talking about this he's doing this he's doing that so it's yeah like, like people like don't know that like you know it would be it's i run i guess i run one would say i run three businesses but yeah like it's mm-hmm. it, it's fun i would say <laughs> but yeah vision paradox i think my dance and all that stuff and my everything that and uh, herbal life and all the and everything led to me being confident and and the tutorials and all the, my own personal social media experience led to vision paradox being created now that also now that there's a machine so to speak i felt comfortable when we started temper tantrum because in my head i'm like this Huge fucking help. 20 it's 2020 when we actually officially became a company how do we fucking stand out because there's so many dance crews nowadays mm-hmm. viral people and i'm glad like the vision paradox is there as the machine to create help create the content and manage the social media yeah. because and from the past experiences of working with all these different brands and how we can change the approach and all that mm-hmm. so 
Yeah, it's a great way to utilize what you're doing and feed it into the company. So there's a lot involved with stuff like this. And yeah, yeah, it's with that knowledge. I feel like I, I felt confident that once we made it official, it's like it wouldn't be as scary trying to build it from the ground up because mm-hmm. family business, my the other my first dance career that we started, I started back in 2004. That was hard as fuck. Like where when social media wasn't that big yet and it was my space and it was for fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, those struggles. And I took those lessons into vision paradox and I combined the lessons from vision paradox to boom, get us ready for tamper tantrum. There you go. And and I was actually going to ask you next, what was the first dance company you joined? So it was the, the, I guess I, not including my high school dance team, right? I guess. Yeah. No, no. After, yeah. after, high after high school, I started my own team. So. <laughs> ah, and, and that was, yeah, that was, well, back then it was called ESUI, but I consider as part of like the part of the Vambiz history, so to speak, because that was the catalyst because it was, and the same co-founders kind of created but yeah, like because the teams that I wanted to be a part of, Pac Modern, Cabo Modern, and Team Millennia, like these are the big collegiate teams that I wanted to be a part of, were all like at least 30 miles away, like Fullerton, Long Beach, fucking Irvine. Like I'm a, I'm a college kid going to Santa Monica. I'm not about to fucking spend my gas money to go all the way fucking to, to Long Beach just to rehearse. I mean, other people did it. I just did not have that luxury to uh, to and especially if i wanted to graduate on time i didn't have that luxury like the the least i can do is you know is teach class and all that stuff but mm-hmm. yeah i started family business like right after like no yeah right after like 2005 2004 so and i realized like we and you know i can't go there might as well we could might as well start our own thing and then the, the, the first official company i joined was culture shock back in 2008 Oh, and I I think a lot of people remember that too. Yeah, so. Very cool. So in your mind, what goes into maintaining a successful and enjoyable dance company? Because you've been involved with so many. (laughs) (laughs) Besides being an asshole, what goes into (laughs) maintaining a successful and enjoyable dance company? Because I think a lot of people have experienced being with companies and it's been hard, stressful. What would you say creates a successful environment? A successful environment. It's not chastising your members. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Max and V Rock on the chat are saying drugs. <laughs> you know how many times I had to not type that in my questions? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think, oh man, because I'm trying to find, avoid sounding cliche. And even sounding more cliche by saying that I don't want to sound cliche. <laughs> uh, I think the I think the big part is because there's a lot of answers that are coming up for me. Is the first thing, is uh, you gotta be able to create memes out of all the members. <laughs> no, I think the first thing before you even can start creating culture, because I feel like that's the second thing, is being clear with what you want to have happen. Okay. Because if you're not clear with um 
the end goal. You're just a bunch of it's a, just a friend group. Yeah, You're just yeah. fucking around and whatnot. There's no business, so to speak, uh, getting done. Or it can it can be fun? You know, it, anything. Everyone operates differently, but I think it being clear with the bigger picture of what you want to have happen and being not clear but having an idea of how to get there helps. I mean, which is why, like, in the first meeting on of temper tantrum on February twenty fifth, twenty twenty, like, I had an, a one year plan ex- to of what how I, how I wanted to execute. Like, uh, and obviously, COVID changed that. But people fell in love with the vision. People will, I think, will fall in love with the vision and why you're doing something first, because then, you know, because. It, it, if you're, I feel like if you're too buddy buddy in the beginning, or if you're like, if you don't have that respect of like, quote unquote hierarchy, and mm-hmm. you're too comfortable on your <laughs> friends first, people will take things personally. They'll overstep boundaries, and this is something that I learned from running family business the first time. Like, we started off with six friends, and then by 2005, like, I was the only graduate there. Everyone else was still seniors. So by after that. I was running family business on my own for for until 2007. Wow! And then we, I had six, I'd grown it to 18 members, and people bounce out, get people get flaky. And then at one point, it was even just two members doing it. So wow, um, which is why I was hesitant, like of starting temper tantrum because I had a lot of experience of flaky people. Like, oh yeah, I'm down. That was like fucking years. I'm down. I'm down. Come Sunday, no, no one shows up. And that was why I was like, again, hesitant. I didn't want it to happen because I didn't want to deal with re- a repeat of being flaked on from people who don't show up. And that's why I, I guess one of the main lessons I learned was like, you know, people, you know, watch people's actions over the words, even though like, and that's a, definitely something younger leaders or aspiring leaders to be mindful of. Because mm-hmm. I definitely had a lot of people say they're down. Like, and yeah. I was like, and I was like excited. Yeah, 20 people. And then next week or next year, it just changed. And that's because I just wanted to create a group and dance. I think that was like the main thing. I just wanted to create a group. I wanted to create a group. That was my why. Like create a group. Like we, like I, I can do this. Like, And the, the biggest the thing that kept me going was the, the, the uh, piece of advice that I got that stuck with me was that it, the first three years of any business is the hardest. So I was like, it wasn't a business, but I just knew like I had to stick with it because somehow it's going to fucking work out. I had no idea. I had no, because there's a vision in my head in two, from 2004. And this was, this happened while I was, we were, we were rehearsing at a basement of a church. Cause that's like the biggest space that they had. Like that we, I saw us on stage competing against these collegiate teams and we were, and we won. That was like a vision that I saw when I was 16. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe it was not. I started this my senior year. But yeah, like that's what that's what drove me. Like I want to be like I wanted uh, family business to be like an equal, like not just like yeah. an up upcoming team, which is what a lot of my experience was like all the way till 2012. Like, oh, they're one of the teams that's the younger teams that's the, on the up and up, even though we weren't young, but we were getting more noticed. So, but that vision was like, we're going to be there. We're going to be get first, not first place, but maybe place, but to be like seen as that. And I think it's gone to a point, like when I came back, it got to a point that people know us, but mm-hmm. yeah, that vision is what drove me. And it eventually led me to 
again, bringing Mark back after he graduated, we partnered, he came back. And I think him and I were a great duo in terms of putting, keeping that, building that team. And then when, oh man, because I remember once we came back, this is to the 2007, we competed at the USA Collegiate Nationals. It was a great fun time. But then this is where we started experiencing like people being too comfortable about in like, and not listening. Like, like when Mark and I were like, like, all right, like you're fucking up, fix this. The people who were so comfortable because they're friends are like, why are you talking to me like this? Mm-hmm. Like, you're my friend. You're like, think you're a director. So like, that's where it's like that boundary we kept getting yeah. stepped on. So, and then fucking uh, eventually people just started leaving and then Mark left too. I think it was a good three months that it was on hiatus. And I, in my mind, it was, I felt my, I was like kind of heartbroken because I was like, fuck man. Like, I don't think I've ever told this story to anyone, but yeah, it was rough. Cause I was like, I felt like I, I, a girl just broke my heart. Uh. This was my thing. Like, and we find we were getting really a good start better. Like, and all that stuff, but that's our like our rebirth, so to speak. But then it fell apart for a little bit, and then Mark and I talked again, and then we decided like if we're gonna do these rehearsals and we're gonna bring our friends, we gotta set the tone. It's like when we're rehearsal, it's gonna get shut done. We gotta get shit done. Like, like we love you guys, we're all family. We gotta get business done. So, and uh, and then. Mark was listening to a Kanye West song called Family Business. We rebranded and showed up at 2009 Maxed Out as Family Business. And then that was our first big dance competition in the community. And then, wow. yeah. Did that go over well? You guys kind of reintroducing yourself with this. Yeah, it was, it reinvigorated us. It showed, it showed that it was a really strong, positive step in terms of like consistent members. And also at that same year, we officially moved to dance to, we officially found a home studio at JV Dance Center. Before that, we were always practicing at parks, like fucking for years. We know that life. (laughs) And then kids would be annoying us and creeps would be trying to be like, talk to the girls during rehearsal. And yeah. And then, but it was getting that the wins would be like finding a home studio competing at that consistent members who are and like contractually saying that they're down. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, it, it, it was obviously there was still a lot of learning to happen, but we, we broke through in creating consistency in members. And then we eventually, because before it was all just like invite only this is how you get into the team. Now mm-hmm. it's like people wanted to audition and then we were kind of taken aback, like, oh, every, and then we started having auditions every year and it started getting bigger. So. All right. And that, that was a lot. So in hey, order sorry, to uh, compartmentalize <laughs> this, <laughs> so to create a successful company, you know, take oh, yeah, away from all of that. We got the backstories on it all and we got to hear how, how each one of those standards came about. Yeah, so. like to I guess to create a uh, to circle it back in, yeah, you you have to have a clear vision of what you want, and then I get I to I guess to continue building off that is obviously knowing what you want, why you want it, but also being empathetic to your company members, like 
you have to know why they are in it too, because I think the ultimate, the, the, the people get it twisted when it comes to being a leader is that they think they're there to serve the, the main guy, so to yeah. speak, or the, yeah. like, but the thing is the, it's, especially with the leadership training that I went through is like the leaders are the servants. They serve the company or they set the team to win. Like yeah. it, go, it goes even to like to get biblical here. Like even Jesus like washed the feet of his apostles. Like yeah. you have to be super humble to, to, I mean, I'll be, I'm not humble. I fucking talk shit to everyone on the team, <laughs> but, but I, I know my role in the team and how I can best serve the team to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's to be like, how do I make sure that, I don't know, like, how do I make sure that we're positioned to be recognized? How do we make sure that this film is positioned to be at the highest level? How do I make sure that we don't waste time in rehearsals? How do I make sure that everyone feels comfortable with the choreography and all this stuff? So it's like things I'm taking into consideration. So that way the team is set up to win. Yeah. But that, that, that's going into a tangent <laughs> again. Well, we, we, we feel that. We feel that even though you're an asshole. We so feel like, that. Yeah, so <laughs> empathy, is a, 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 empathy is definitely a, a, a big thing. Yeah. Like being able to listen, like listening to what, they, what the members want. What do they want and how do you become, help them get there? Another one, it would be, I guess, being vulnerable, like being okay that. That's a tough one. So, yeah. And that doesn't mean like showing that crying in rehearsals because yeah, I'm fucking proud of rehearsals. But it's like, it's like vulnerable in time in terms of like letting go of control sometimes or letting things go differently. Like in rehearsals, like I might it might be because of my example. It's like I speak in a certain way that some of for some people who have are working with me for the first time are not used to it, and sometimes people might find that offensive. So that's my vulnerability of like, it's, 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 you know, not as vulnerable as a crying and, but, but it's my vulnerability of being honest because this is how I will talk. And if you do not like it, you are feel free, you're free to leave. And, <laughs> and if you're okay with it, you're just going to become, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to love you, but I'm still going to talk shit to you. <laughs> and if you feel like, yeah, you know, it's being able to be honest, honest with yourself in a sense and that requires a lot of vulnerability because not everyone's going to like you for who you are so um, yeah i've been with companies where leaders are just stone cold they wouldn't take a break to laugh for anything you know rather than just show us their true selves so i I see it in a sense like that you definitely just give us yourself you are who you are and it helps the dancers connect even better yeah, so, and I feel like it because that the people are unafraid. I, I, well, not unafraid, but like feel comfortable to talk shit to me, in a sense, or mm-hmm. even tell tell me their honest opinions. Because I feel like yeah. a lot of people in a leadership role, there ends up being a huge disconnect of like they talk they the the, the, the employees, so to speak, talk, and then the boss comes and they change. Mm-hmm. So There's an open door policy with yeah. you. So it's like, I think it's because part of it is I'm unapologetic in how I speak and what I do with you guys. And uh, me, I think part of it is not judging or saying any ideas are stupid. Mm-hmm. Even though I say it as a joke, but I still like let them share their opinions 
and try to empathize with it. Try not to make them feel wrong, even though it just make them feel stupid. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. All right, so all right, I've got some rapid fires next, so we're gonna be wrapping this up. Okay, so let me let me check the chat. So Brock says you need to be you need a clear vision, or you'll be stuck in a vision. You're stupid, Brock. <laughs> Eddie, I appreciate you being on here. I feel that how that being flicked on. Okay, Burek, that sucks. Oh, that would have been crazy. That would have been crazy if you joined, uh, Burek. You might have known each other sooner. Okay, so rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. So you got to just spit your first first thought at us, okay? Favorite color? Oh. Oh my God. Don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no don't do don't do that people do very bad <laughs> favorite color red favorite food pizza favorite dance icon dance icon michael jackson happiest memory as a performer happiest memory as a performer fuck there's a lot it's a, <laughs> be, a coming back on the universal stage and being consciously aware of my performance Aww. Happiest memory as a teacher. As a teacher. Being able to compete and battle with one of my students. Oh, nice. Worst memory as a performer. When I blanked out, <laughs> when I blanked out front and center on the Urban Street Jam stage on my, on my own, very own choreography, I blanked out. Oh, ouch. Oh my gosh. Greatest accomplishment. Jordan. Yes, I knew. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Biggest disappointment. Letting you on the team. Five <laughs> <laughs> words. Okay, okay, so biggest disappointment. For real, for real, for real, for real. Not standing up against toxic people when I was running family business. Damn. Okay. If you could tell one thing to your 16-year-old self, what would it be? you're going to change. Oh, and this is a similar one to what you asked me during my interview. If all of your memories of your career oh, and success yeah. wiped away, how would you explain your life to your grandchildren? How would I explain my life to my Okay. This is completely different from the question I asked you. <laughs> how would you explain your life yourself, your legacy to my, to my grandchildren, if everything, oh, shit. Because I feel like you don't care much about what other people think. I feel like your grandkids, you'd want to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> if everything was wiped away and my, what would I want to tell my kids? Like the, in terms of... Um, your legacy, who you are, what you accomplished. What would I want to tell them about myself? That would help. There's nothing up. about your history. No way of knowing who you were, what you did. So this is where like my overthinker comes in, and and I like, <laughs> I I interpret things differently. Am I share, am I sharing their lessons or am I talking about myself? I don't know. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see like they know I, nothing. So okay. So I, what I would shit. I, said, I guess I would tell them like about what, what I would say about myself is someone who, I guess, worked his butt off to pursue, you know, what he wanted to have, con I guess, and to have control to do what he wanted. Because I definitely had to fight tooth and nail to get where I'm at now. And it wasn't easy. 
and the lessons would be uh, be clear with what you want, but it's okay to change your mind. Very uh, good. And uh, persevere, because that's how, because it's always going to be the long game. Mm, very good. And the last one, if you could leave just one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Drugs. <laughs> one piece of advice for the world? What would it be? One. Be empathetic with yourself and persevere. Very good. Yay. And that concludes this interview. <laughs> so I am not good with closing out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is it. Anyone on the chat, Burok, if you want to interview me next, let me know. Max, if you want to. I know, Max, we have our own podcast. We kind of like, never mind. <laughs> we have our own thing. But Burok, Eddie, or anyone from Temper Tantrum watching. If you guys want to interview me next and you got your own questions, let me know. But other than that, those of you guys watching on Twitch, I appreciate you guys. Those of you guys watching on YouTube, if you liked it, make sure you hit like, subscribe, share this with friends who you think might enjoy. If you, I forgot what I was going to say, but anyways, listen to the other stuff that, uh, check out the other stuff on here as well. Aside from the podcast, check out the dance videos, the dance films we shared, uh, we shared and uh, freestyle videos, listen to the podcast, other podcasts I'm in, such as Aqua Tea Party, Move, Groove and Grow and all that stuff. And make sure you give fo- Crystal a follow. She has an OnlyFans as well. <laughs> so, so that's it. I appreciate you guys all for listening. Have a great night, day, evening, wherever you are. And I'll see you guys next time. Peace.